Welcome to My Shitty Podcast, So Shitty It Only Has One T. I'm your host, Adam Copeland. Thanks for tuning in, thanks for subscribing, and most importantly, thanks for telling a friend. Uh, I also want to thank my guest, the love doctor, um, Dr. Anne, for coming on and talking to us about what she does for a living, um, relationship advice, so on, etc. If you listen to this podcast, then you'll know what we talked about. So, um, yeah, that's it. Uh, check out um, her store and um, check out her website. Check out her IG. I've included those in the show notes. Um, and without further ado, let's let the cat out of the bag. Very cool. Let's get adjusted here and groovy. Yeah, I may ask you questions and then go over here and fiddle with this and then come back. And cool. then. Do you need water or are you good? I do need water. Hang tight. There it is. There it is. Okay. Oh, I love your sticker. Thank you. I'll send you home I with one. I need one of those. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, you know, I have a 14-year-old, a too, uh -huh. who's, like, so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be him. He's so cool. <laughs> but I told him, I was like, you've got to hear this podcast. It's called My Shitty Podcast. He was like, that's the best name ever. Yeah. It's in the name. There's not a whole lot of explanation to it. It's great. I love it. Not a lot of expectation. That's right. <laughs> that was part of the thing. Like, I don't like to edit that much. Um, the recording audio may be kind of mm -hmm. shitty. Bear with me. It's going to be shitty. I think it's great. Yeah. And then along with like, I don't know, uh, merchandise and stuff. I'm like, they were like, eh, it came out a little grainy. I'm like, let's run with it. It's shitty. Let's do it. It's great. Yeah, it's perfect. Anyways, enough about me. Um, okay, we can get started if you're ready. I'm ready. You are? <laughs> um, I'm not. Okay. Uh, why don't we get started with like introducing yourself and Absolutely. telling us who you are, what you do. I'm Dr. Ann Ridley. The Modern Aphrodite is my tagline. It's also the name of my store. I am a clinical sexologist with a doctorate in human sexuality and a master's in counseling. Yeah. And I own also a pleasure boutique in Santa Fe. Yeah. And online. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that a title that you don't like to give out? You were saying before while yeah. we were getting started, you were like, it's, it's, if I can gauge like, the type of person I'm talking totally. to. Often I'm on a plane next yeah. to someone and they go, oh, what do you do? And I'm thinking, well, this could be a really long, <laughs> interesting explanation mm -hmm. if I want to get into it. And yeah. sometimes I do. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm a clinical sexologist. And yeah. they're like, really? Well, can you tell me more about what that means? And can you help me with my stuff in the bedroom? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody needs a little help. I mean, it's something that we all want to talk about. Yeah. Right. Which is one of the reasons that I wanted to do this kind of work. It's like, where do you go outside of your friend group, your intimate friend group mm -hmm. to really talk about what's happening in your sex life and what's happening in your body? Yeah. 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 That's great. When do you like pull off and say, all right, I think I want to be um, a, like a psychotherapist. Mm -hmm. And then when, when do you or is when it just right I, out of the gate? Right. Like, I'm 16. I want to get you know, into... Honestly, it was pretty early on. I got to say, um, growing up, 
when I was 12, I think was the first time that I went to see a counselor. Mm -hmm. And it was more because I didn't connect with my mother very well. And it was just really nice to have someone who was sort of like a mother figure that I could talk to. Yeah. And she was like a great cheerleader. And I would talk to her about my friends at school and, you know, nothing major really, but it was just really nice. And I think then I realized that it's also part of my personality to mm -hmm. be a helper, healer, empath. Yeah. And so when I was thinking about like, what the hell do I want to do with my life? You know, in college, it was like, oh, I'm going to take some art and psychology classes. And then at that point, the idea of art therapy was being thrown around um, for the first time, really. So this was about 20 years ago. Yeah. And those were my two passions. Those were the two things that I really connected with. So I started doing pursuing art therapy and got a master's in counseling. And um, I think I had been seeing clients about 12 years or so. And I was going through some things in my own marriage at the time. Mm -hmm. And we ended up getting divorced. But one of the things that in couples counseling that I found was really lacking was no one wanted to talk about sex. Yeah. And I was sort of stunned because we saw a couple different therapists at the time. I was sort of stunned that everyone was tiptoeing around sex. And mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, this is a real disservice, you know? Yeah. So when I got divorced, I went back to school, got my doctorate in human sexuality. And that was an experience. Yeah. <laughs> it was in San Francisco. It was a very experiential school which actually has the oldest sexology program in the country. Mm -hmm. And we were exposed to all different kinds of lifestyles. We got to interview um, people with different backgrounds, people who were into different fetishes, had different sexual concerns or issues um, or dysfunction. And it was just amazing to do it in a city that was so liberated like San Francisco. And my whole life changed yeah. when this happened and personally and professionally. It was so cool. Was sex like a big part of your divorce or was that something that was unrelated or It was also... a part of it, actually. Um, my ex-husband and I are great friends. We mm -hmm. always were great friends. He's a fantastic father. It's just our chemistry over time wasn't enough. Yeah. I think after being married for or being together for about 10 years, I didn't really have the tools um, because I was quite young when I got married. I hadn't really explored my own sexuality, my own desires in a way that was anything other than a very vanilla experience. Yeah. And we really struggled with how do we add different things in? How do we explore? Where do we go? Who do we talk to? And we had two babies. So it was like, it was really challenging. Yeah. And I mean, that was 10 years ago. So now I feel like I'm quite different in my relationships, but also that that relationship may have been different. Sure. If I had the tools that I have now. Right. So when I'm seeing clients, I think that it's really important that we get into everything, yeah, you know, separately together, even, you know, sometimes I see people of a couple individually 
to really get into like, okay, what's your experience? What do you want to be experiencing? How can I help you get there? And then how do we take that into your relationship? Yeah. So it's not always sex related. Being a sexologist, it's not always sex related. It's oftentimes just relationship fundamentals. Communication. Communication. Yeah. It's all communication. (laughs) You know, often people call me with a specific sex concern, but immediately it becomes about communication. Yeah. Is there any specific concern that you're like, oh, it's always dirty talk or, oh, it's always. Yeah. Um, um, it's interesting. You know, uh, people often want to see my reaction to their fantasies mm-hmm. or their stories that they tell me. And I think that in society, we create a story that's taboo around certain practices. I don't have that. Yeah. Anymore. (laughs) There's no barriers. (laughs) I'm like, you really can't say anything to me that's going to shock me. Yeah. You know, and a lot has been said to me over the years, like a lot of things, which for confidentiality reasons, I can't share, which I would love to share because it's quite fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Of course. But they will often, and it happened yesterday, a new client told me, you know, some, some things about their history. And I thought, Um, I could see the eyes sort of darting and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I said, there's no judgment. There's no judgment at all. You say whatever you feel comfortable saying. You're not going to be shamed for that or anything around that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Do you hold um, your sessions here in your sex store? That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Or pleasure boutique. I'm sorry for using the wrong verbiage. If I use the wrong verbiage, just direct me the right way. You can say it however you want. That's cool. It's interesting because I was a therapist for so long in a very square office. Yeah. You know, it was like two chairs, a couch, and a coffee maker. Mm -hmm. I mean, just it was very basic, which was fine. The interesting thing about um, the retail space is it was it it was formed out of the need that clients had for product. Yeah, and they would come to me and say, "Well, what would you recommend? What kind of vibrator? You know, what kind of cock ring? Whatever." Mm-hmm. Like, can I say that? Yeah, <laughs> okay. please. Yeah, there's shit in the title of the name. I so know. well, okay, I'll say C ring. Yeah, but if I say C ring, I feel like. People might not know, but that's what it's called in the industry. A C-ring. C-ring. Yes. That's so churchy. I know. (laughs) It is churchy, right? And it sort of implies judgment. So anyways, there are no words in my office or in my shop that are off limits. So people can say whatever they want. But but it developed out of people wanting product and not wanting to go to some seedy back store somewhere. Sure, yeah. And so I just started carrying things. And... Then I just decided, like, I can do whatever. Let's just hold space in the store. Yeah. Um, so there's a separate area with a couch and chairs. And and it's nice. And, of course, the shop is closed when someone's here asking me questions and having a session. Yeah. But I actually find that it's quite freeing for people. Certainly, yeah. If you're like, oh, have you never seen a cock ring before? Yeah, Let me really. show you. It's right over right. here. Or there's some bondage stuff right over there. Yeah. Do you like to be restrained in your relationship? <laughs> yeah. And maybe not physically, but maybe emotionally are you restrained, mm-hmm. you know? So um, I feel like it gives permission to really delve deep into what's really going on. Yeah. Because we're all out in the open here. Yeah. 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 Um, that's fantastic. Do you often uh, reference like the Kinsey scale? I or mm-hmm. Do you mind 
telling like listeners who right. Dr. Kinsey is and Alfred Kinsey. Alfred yeah. Kinsey. So and and there was a show that was out a few years ago that maybe I'm just gonna adjust your mic for just yeah. a sec. It's starting to sag a little bit. Sorry. It's okay. Not your fault. It's the equipment again. Okay. <laughs> Do I need to go this way? Is no. A, I'm sorry. Are you gonna edit all that? I will. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll keep it in. Sometimes it's charming. Okay, there we go. Okay. There we go. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so Alfred Alfred Kinsey. Yes. Um, there are quite a few sex researchers that are well known, or that shows were created off of. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the HBO show. I think it was HBO. Um, anyways. Alfred Kinsey basically said that there is a range in our sexuality. Yes. And the Kinsey scale is a self-described or self-assigned maybe number that you have about on one end, it's I'm totally homosexual. And on the other end, it's I'm totally heterosexual. Mm -hmm. Okay. And actually, when I was in graduate school, the entire class was asked to get up and stand on either the right side, the left side, or anywhere in the middle. So the right side being heterosexual, the left side being I'm I'm completely homosexual or identify as. And then most of us were somewhere in the middle, maybe a little more leaning to one side or the other. Yeah. And the important piece about that is that that's what Kinsey said, that most of us, most humans are somewhere actually around the middle. Mm -hmm. And that however we identify is fine and that it may change given experiences, behaviors over time. And that's fine too. Yeah. And I think that it's really important, especially in the day and age that we're in now, to see that it can be a range. Sure, yeah. If you so choose, if you so feel called. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I was going to take the Kinsey test before. and Oh, really? I, yeah, I forgot. But um, I don't know. I encourage people to take it. I'm curious 100%. to see like where... You would fall. I think it's just like an internet, yeah. Like you questionnaire. Can do you can do it that way. I mean, around the corner in my shop, I have um, uh, uh, quite a few of the old manuals that Kinsey actually wrote. Cool. Yeah, that are really neat. That's to, awesome. to read through. I mean, they're massive volumes, right? And there's one for the female, and there's one for the male. Yeah. And. Um, you know, had they been written now, some things about that might be different in the way that we are addressing gender identity. Sure. Um, but it's really super interesting. And, and you know, a lot of findings were coming back to yeah. those original things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can we, I know that you like promote um, like positive sex. Yes. Um, and uh, I was just curious, like your take on, sex workers, if that's like, um, if that is, um, like a big clientele of yours or if it's the opposite because it's, there's no real stigma, uh, around it. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's a job. I punch a clock and mm-hmm. no need to work any of the, of the uh, pardon the pun, any of the kinks out. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's interesting. Um, it's not honestly, a huge part of my clientele in in the clients who identify as sex workers. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like within our industry that there has been 
an embrace around people who identify as sex workers. Yeah. And it's different for everyone. You know, I would say whether they want to attach that title to them or whether they don't. And I feel like there's a lot less judgment, at least from my side of the couch, I would say, you know, as the therapist than there used to be. Um, the idea too, of how is sex trafficking involved in sex work Mm -hmm. has been something that I've been reading and thinking about more recently. And also how do we, um, encourage rights among sex workers, like health rights and, um, financial rights and those kinds of things. And how are the laws going to change? I mean, I think it'll be really interesting to see in maybe even the next five years around, um, the change in laws around sex workers. I really hope that there is. Yeah. And, um, you know, I fully support anyone doing what they want with their bodies, that that be legal. Yeah. And if they so choose to, you know, use that as an exchange, then that's their choice. Yeah. I really feel that it's a a valuable service. Mm -hmm. I mean, having worked with people who either are not experiencing much sex or have even sexual dysfunction or um, would just like a different kind of safe confidential, secure experience, I think, you know, having a resource in someone who is a sex worker is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I, I hope that more of that, you know, happens over time that it's seen as more of of a really positive service for those who willingly are doing it. Yeah. Do you feel like sex workers sometimes help people work out those? hundred percent. Desires that they're not comfortable, like with a partner saying, Hey, I'm actually really into anal sex. Would you mind, you know? Totally. (laughs) Or I'm into whatever. Yeah. You know, to to have someone and and friends that I know who who have used the service um really have had wonderful experiences too. Yeah. And that it's created a, a great outlet or it's even stroked their ego. Yeah. Um, I think that to have someone who who isn't judgmental, isn't in a relationship with you, isn't gonna leave the relationship, mm-hmm. that's a concern that I hear a lot is I have these fantasies or I have these desires and I just don't think that my partner is going to be accepting of those. And I feel really frustrated within the relationship about that. And what do I do? Yeah. Do you have, do you often, um, say, why don't you bring your partner in? Like, can I talk to them separately? Is that how you address that? Yeah. Well, usually it would be together first. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it may be separate Yeah. and there's always an encouragement of how do we change this story yeah. around your fantasy? Fantasies are completely normal. Um, oftentimes people think I have this really strange fantasy. I don't know that any fantasy is strange. I think <laughs> yeah. that people attach a sexual tone to an experience that they had in which they were aroused. And a lot of times this happens early in childhood. Sure, yeah. Um, And then they connect it with that object or with that experience or place. And then fantasies often develop outside of that. Yeah. 
It sounds really weird, but it won't pick up on this. Okay, <laughs> that's good. part of the shitty mic thing. <laughs> but these yeah. headphones are fantastic. I so mean, I, like, I talk with my hands. You know, same and it's here. like no one's seeing me other than you. But <laughs> but on air, I always talk with my hands. So all good. Yeah, it's all good. Um, I I bang and flick the the microphone often, so it's. Trust me, it's cool. it's a common occurrence. You're not alone. I'll do it before the show's all over. All right, all right. <laughs> um, I was going to ask about, um, uh, we're kind of getting into relationships now, mm-hmm. um, and I'm curious about uh, like poly relationships, Yeah. how healthy that is or how toxic that may be. Um, is that another one of those... And I'm not saying like you're you're about to give me a cop out answer here and say, well, everybody's different. I get that. <laughs> I respect that. But I'm just curious if yeah. what's your like take on mm-hmm. poly relationships as opposed to uh, like a um, monogamy or something uh-huh. like that. What's what's where do you how do you feel about that as yeah. far as like that's sometimes helpful or yeah. sometimes people need that or yeah. everybody's different or it usually just ends up hurting the other person's feelings or one person's feelings. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see how you were going to phrase the question before I answered it. <laughs> yeah. Because it tells me a lot about you. Yeah. Right? And and also about um, our society and the stigma or the actual, you know, now I feel like poly is a little more mainstream. Sure. If we don't say poly and we say open, mm-hmm. then that that lets us elaborate on what that actually means. Yeah. So I work with quite a few people um, who are open. And I've actually led some long-term monogamous couples into open relationships. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It's, It's something that started happening, I would say about three or four years ago, I started having more people come in who were curious, um, who were experimenting, who were maybe cheating and didn't want to have the infidelity label or wanted to be out in the open about their sexuality, which is something I always promote is, is the not shaming our own self around our sexuality. I think there's been far too much of that. Mm -hmm. And so I believe having seen it, having experienced it in my own life, that open relationships can be ex- such a learning experience. I'll say it that way. I do think it's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. I always tell couples who are monogamous, who are interested in opening their relationship, that it will bring out every issue they've got. Sure. Yeah. I it's see that. not an easy road. Yeah. I've just to share a little bit about myself, I've been in a poly relationship, Mm -hmm. um, where we kind of like finally came to terms of like, I'm exhausted. (laughs) Can we maybe take a break a little bit and just like, yeah, put put the, let's just shake hands. Yeah. We'll take a little breather. Let's close. Yeah. And then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with a a game plan later, but we, we, and that's common. I have to say that's common. I usually see the journey come to a place where it's like, let's close for a little while, whatever that period of time is, because we're emotionally, physically, spiritually sometimes spent because it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. A lot of rules too. A lot of rules, a lot of processing. (laughs) Sure. And I feel like it's really important that it's specific to each partner, each couple. 
Um, so however you want to structure that, and I don't know how you structured it, whether it's like a primary, secondary, even spreading out sort of experience, um, I think it's really important. And a lot of times new couples have no idea yeah. what they're okay with. They think they're okay with something, then they or their partner has an experience and they're like, wait a second, <laughs> that sucks. I feel terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not do that. Certainly. The thing is that we have such concerns around jealousy and ownership that are very archaic, mm-hmm. right? Around sex too. And so part of this is a shift in um, perception about what does it mean if my partner's having an an intimate emotional and or physical exchange with someone else? Am I okay if it's a one-off, like a one-nighter? Am I okay if it's a boyfriend-girlfriend experience? You know, um, am I okay if I'm there? I mean, these are a lot of questions that I think people don't really know what the answer to, truthfully, until they experience it. Yeah, yeah, it's not until you're in it. There was... Just to share yes, about myself please. a little bit. I love this. <laughs> um, there was a beginning of, okay, let's just, we both don't want to be committed, right? Like we mm-hmm. don't like that title. Let's be open about this um, and ready, set, go. Mm-hmm. And it started. And then a week later it was like, okay, I don't like X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, and I think that we need to be safe. Like, okay, then we'll, we'll, it's absolutely, that's what's going to happen. Like mm-hmm. anybody you want, and, but it has to be safe. Yeah. And the next week it was like, okay, new set of rules. Yes. Already. <laughs> and that's how it goes. Yeah. It really does. It's a constant reevaluation. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that's hard about that is that the crucial element to being open in a relationship is trust and honesty. Yeah. So it's really hard when the rules keep changing Mm -hmm. because you want to trust your partner. You also want to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, it was weird. So that you don't judge yourself, right? Yeah. We would meet up and have cocktails and then Mm -hmm. say, okay, I got a date, which was kind of a strange like pregame with your partner. And then we would both go out. Oh, that's cool. Have dates. um, And may or may not come home, but like, that's not, it wasn't like a, but you have to come home. Like there's a curfew. Uh-huh. Um, it and was, then were there rituals? Do you mind if I ask? Were no, there rituals around coming home? Um, not necessarily. We also were living separately, oh, but like were. we would, yeah, okay. we would, but I have, um, with like friends, mm-hmm. um, I, I do know people that have like, you have to be home by morning time or like you have and to you be, have to shower. Yeah. So, but that oh, yeah. was, that's something that's really important that a lot of people who are new, they, they sort of miss that mm-hmm. of like, I need you to shower and I need you to sleep in the guest room Sure. or I don't want you to shower and you're going to come home and we're going to have sex. Cause that's what I'm into. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's, I think that because it's an exploration that it is good to have these constant check-ins of like, let's debrief each other on what happened Yes. and how much do I want to know? Yeah. There was, there was a little bit of, don't tell me this, but I do want to know that. Like, I want to know if you're, I want to know if you're going to go out and mm-hmm. I want to know if you've got plans so right. that I don't make plans with you. Right. Um, and then also if I didn't know at all, I want you to to bring me up to speed next yeah. time we see each other. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to be immediately like, right. Hey, 
things, something came up or whatever, try to be as mature as possible. Totally. Like, Next time we meet, just tell me. And then the more specific things of what did you do with this person? <laughs> yeah, I didn't, because, I didn't need to know all that. Okay. That was and something that I was like. And that's something that you're okay with. A yeah. lot of times people aren't. Right. A lot of times people are like, I need you to tell me everything, either because it turns me on or I think it will turn me on. Sure. And then it's like, I can't believe you did that. Why, you know, why would you be so risky? Or mm-hmm. like if, if anal's okay with one person, but not with another, or like you need to, you know, not ever fluid bond. And sure. I mean, it's, it's so, it's hard to come back after you know this information. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true, which is hard. And you have to be really mature if you're going to explore that kind of a relationship you have to be really honest with yourself of like all right we're all humans here this is just a primal urge that everybody goes through we're just being honest about it totally and that's where I really come in individually yeah is saying okay what's your issue with knowing this information do you think that because your partner went and slept with someone else that now they don't love you yeah. That, that means that they don't love you because where's that from? You know, and honestly, we're taught that about monogamy, right? Yes. Like I should be everything to you and you should be everything to me. And if you desire someone else, then that's a reflection of me and right. what I'm not. And that is not the case. But we make up that story. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times what I help couples do is I help them reframe the story of their relationship. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I feel like it's a testament of like how much you really do love that person. Totally. Um, the analogy I gave during that period uh, when people would ask me like, hey, you're never going to guess what I saw. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll get briefed on it. It's all good. Um, or I should. Because your partner was doing something. <laughs> yeah, or I saw this or whatever. Um, was uh, like a best friend, like a, a, a pal of mine. I would be really excited if he was like, hey, that person that I was had a crush on, I actually hooked up with that person. Mm-hmm. Like, Good for you. I'm really glad. <laughs> That's that cool. You were able Tell to me do more. That. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let me, I'm happy for you mm-hmm. as opposed to your actual partner. Like, right. Hey, I had a crush on the tango dancer. <laughs> we totally made out in the parking yeah. lot and I slept with them. Like, Hey, that's why you didn't come home last night. <laughs> <laughs> right. Instead As, of like, that's so cool. Yeah, like great. Good for you. Must have had great moves in bed. Yeah. A tango <laughs> those tell me something. Do those hips move yeah, like exactly. that in the bedroom? Totally. <laughs> or is it all a facade? And um, it's really hard because we have a fear around the object of our affection being taken away. Yeah. So the love that the person is giving to us, whether it's emotional, physical, both mm-hmm. in a relationship, that that is jeopardized. And this is a very primal concern. Yeah. Too. Yeah. 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 And it has to be talked through. Often we don't talk about those fears and that's where it hooks us. Yeah. And then it comes out sideways and then we start manipulating the other person and then we start abandoning the relationship ourselves, right? Yeah. Out of fear or making of... them jealous or doing all these BS behaviors <laughs> that we don't have to, we don't have to do that. Yeah. You just don't have to do that. And the problem is that we've been taught and we've modeled from our life, you know, movies, stories, our parents, like wherever we picked up that this kind of behavior is okay. Now we're playing it out and we have a conscious choice to not do that anymore Yeah, and to clean it up when we do. And I think that it, it really elevates a relationship into a more conscious 
awake experience mm-hmm. if you're willing to be accountable for right. yourself. Yeah, that's the other thing too. You gotta you have to also be honest with yourself of like, why am totally. I why did I get mad that there was a blowjob involved in that? Or like right. why did I get that's part of sex as far as I'm concerned. Like I went down on yeah. the person that I was intimate with. Why am I upset that my partner did the same thing? Exactly. And we're right back at home now and everything's back to normal. Why am I still upset about this? Right. Um, right. And, and yeah, a lot of times it's ego. Sure. Okay. So sure, sure. often what I see, and I don't work with all heterosexual couples, but Certain. if I'm going to be heteronormative mm-hmm. by saying male and female, oftentimes what I see with males whose partner, whose female has had an experience with a different male mm-hmm. is a lot of concerns around like whose dick is bigger. Sure. That's the, the number one. It like, is. Yeah. I expect it. They're almost ashamed yeah. often that they're like, that that's their thought. But often with males, that is the thought initially. Women, right, where there's another woman that's been with their partner, often will say, well, did you have an emotional connection? Not, you know, are her, like, breast bigger or something. (laughs) It's it's usually not about that. Yeah. It's usually more the fear that there's going to be an emotional component. I certainly had a problem with that. And and Mm -hmm. the poly relationship was, um, or the open relationship um, was, well, why are you still, like, you had your sexual experience. Like, why are you still, like, Mm -hmm. well, I don't know. We're still friends. Can we still be friends? And I had to kind of work through that a little bit of like, oh, how often are you going to text that person or like, (laughs) and why am I concerned about that? Like why, why does that feel like a threat to me? Yeah. 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 So I had to really like dig deep. Do you know who Ram Dass is? Of course. Okay. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) There was a lot of like reflecting back on, um, some Ram, Ram Dass esque, uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know, lifestyles and, and, um, um, I I don't know, checking in with your your own ego of like, why is this? And, Absolutely. Well, and I think also, you know, that's really where we're most vulnerable, right? Is sharing the stories of ourselves and our inner lives. Mm -hmm. And those intimate details are different than a fuck. I mean, it's just different. Yeah. You know? For sure. For sure. So I think that especially for males who, I mean, typically are not conditioned to to be so vulnerable as as women. I mean, we're really taught and conditioned that that's our our strength as a female, right? Is our vulnerability and our ability to emotionally connect with our partner. Right. And often males have an easier time connecting sexually first and then being vulnerable emotionally. Women, it's usually the opposite. Again, totally heteronormative, Mm -hmm. but that's typically the difference. So the concern would be understandable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Wow. I worked through the things. (laughs) I'm so glad that this became a therapy session. (laughs) (laughs) This is all, I never turned on the recording equipment ever once. I know, right? (laughs) Freebie. Done. Check it off the list. I knew I could do it. I got something too. So. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was going to ask about um, pornography for like research. Do you personally do any porno research, like watch any porno movies for research and how much of a bad idea is that? Like, is that a good idea? Is that a bad idea to like, I want to see what it's like to, well, like, well, you know what? That's a little bit of a, it's the pool boy doesn't always want to have sex with you or 
What mm-hmm. can you, what's a bad thing to learn about porn and what's a good thing to learn about I'm not going to say there's a bad and a good. Okay. I don't want to, I, I'm very open about porn mm-hmm. and, um, I will talk about some negative effects that I've seen. Okay. I don't actually believe in, mm, I want to be careful about addiction around sex addiction, porn addiction. I, I like to be really careful about that. Are there times that that can happen? For sure. Right. But I want to be careful about people labeling themselves in any way of like, I'm not normal. So I'll preface that though yeah. by saying that um, I have seen situations where young males, so in prepubescence or adolescence, their first experiences are through porn. It's so accessible. I've got a 14-year-old. Sure. Like, I'm, I'm not naive about this, yeah. right? Yeah. And I'm not judgmental about it. I want to say that. At the same time, if there are no in-person experiences or very few, I, and I've worked with a couple young men, um, even in their early 20s, who have a hard time getting aroused with a live person because they've conditioned themselves unknowingly to be aroused in porn so that they'll have no problem with porn and they know exactly what turns them on and there's a a disconnect in intimacy. So you feel the intimacy, but the person isn't there, right? So but you feel it because you're in the moment with it and you're connecting intimately with yourself. But then there can be a problem when there's a live person there because you're being stimulated in a different way. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I would say would be my my main concern about porn, especially earlier in adolescence. Um, again, it's, it doesn't happen often. Um, there's a great Ted talk about it though. That was fantastic. And like I said, I've had some experience working with some young men that report this. Yeah. My personal belief around porn and the research that I quote unquote research (laughs) that I do around porn. Mm -hmm. My, my best research research, I've ever done. This is a fantastic story. My best research I've ever done was at kink.com headquarters Uh in San Francisco. Do you know anything about this? Uh, no, I mean, okay. I know, I know that kink.com exists. Yes. I know a little bit of it. Yes. But okay. Please. So the armory building in San Francisco is something like a hundred thousand square feet. I'm not even kidding. Wow. It's so massive and, and I'm probably off around the number, but at any given time, there's like, I think about 20 to 25, maybe more, um, rooms in which porn scenes are being filmed at once yeah. and live streamed. Um, and this was the stats of a couple years ago. I think it was maybe five years ago that I toured the facility. And there's different fetishes, different stories, different scenes happening. Everything from um, like mud wrestling to um, like electroshock yeah. to like saloon situations to I think that there's something like 16,000 suspension hooks in the building. Wow. So a lot of bondage theme things. Um, that was an awesome experience because I really got to interview some people who were willing participants. You know, these are people, they hire people, but you have to apply. Yeah. So it has to be something that's really that you're already into, that you're you're willing to go into, you know, that <laughs> scene with. 
Um, in fact, a really funny story is they had like barrels of lube in the hallways. What? Really? Like they were like whiskey barrels? Like, o- yeah, like huge, <laughs> like oil barrels of lube with like pumps on the top. Oh, wow. Yeah, I have pictures standing next to them. That's what I need. It was amazing. <laughs> I know, right? Don't we all need that much lube? It was really amazing. Yeah. Um, so I think that because I do have a lot of conversations with people around porn and what they like. Yeah. It's so telling what you're drawn to in porn. And I think the most recent thing, disservice, I will say, about Tumblr creating a ban around porn. You know the whole Tumblr porn ban, right? No, please go on. what happened was, so Tumblr is this amazing app that used to not have censorship around sex, sexual acts, people posting um, GIFs or clips um, or even short movies, really, porn, different, you know, specific things. Um, And you could really find anything. And that was what I personally used as my porn resource. Yeah. And I recommended it all the time to clients because it was free, because you could find a a lot of different um, themes depending on what you were into. A lot of it was suggestive, beautiful um, pictures or short scenes. And uh, in fact, one of my colleagues and friends operated the largest porn site for women and it started on Tumblr. Cool. Lady Cheeky, who's amazing, who (laughs) you can still find resources about her. But what happened is in December, apparently Apple pulled their um, plug for, or the app on their site because there were some questions around child pornography. Oh, yeah. Which, of course, there should, you know, there should be laws and rules around that. But Certainly, what it yeah. did was then Tumblr said, okay, we're going to ban all sexual content. And there was an outrage around this. And I feel like it's such a major disservice because now a lot of people are trying to find other resources other than Pornhub or something that is very typical, sure, as yeah. you could say. Certainly. What I find, and in fact, I was talking to a client about this particular thing yesterday because there was a lot of education that was happening um, on Tumblr for this particular individual. And specifically around power play relationships. And um, I sort of seen like what turns me on and what doesn't. And I think in power play relationships, that's really important because there are varying degrees of how much you maybe want to get into a subdom situation um, and what that looks like and what behaviors that entails. And for... For a lot of people, I think that it is, I don't know how I'm going to feel or if I'm going to be turned on or aroused by something until I see it. Sure, And I feel that porn is actually really helpful in that if we don't shame ourselves about it. So there's a lot of, you know, in porn, there's a lot of themes like, oh, it's my stepsister, my sister. You know, there's a lot of like taboo sort of things. And then people get aroused and then they say, oh, I'm so, I don't degrade women. Why did that turn me on? Well, I mean, does it in your everyday life or was it just that you were feeling sexual and it was taboo and it's the fact that it was taboo that turned you on? Yeah. So I feel like it's really important, the story that people make up about their own arousal around porn. 
to see that it's just a story and just a fantasy and they're not, they don't maybe necessarily want to carry it out in their personal life or they're not actually going to harm another individual or themselves. So why have judgment around those things? You know, it's, it's, it's more, um, imagination. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. And, and to also keep what you're aroused to, um, not so narrow. So maybe if it's a specific kind of porn that always gets you off, maybe trying to explore with other things because then you're conditioning yourself to not get off on other things or not get off on having like actual intimacy with a real person. Mm -hmm. So I do think it can be helpful. I think it can be helpful for couples to watch and see what turns them on maybe or as a foreplay kind of thing. Sure. Also. Um, as long as it's not, um, exclusive and then they take it into their own relationship. Yeah. Was um, that a that was broad great. enough <laughs> answer? Yeah. I really covered a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, the, the kink.com thing. I don't think that they do tours anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure that they're in the same armory building, but that was a pretty incredible experience. Yeah, I have to I say. Bet. Yeah. I bet. That's crazy. I mean, people are into everything. Sure. There's, there's a market for anything. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, we talked a little bit about like, you've got um, uh, teenage boys or a teenage boy, two, two boys. So I have two boys. One is 14 and a half and mm-hmm. one is 11 and a half. Okay. So one has moved, moved through puberty. Yeah. Um, in his own development, you know, I'm not really sure that there's a specific time or age, actually. I think it's different for each person. Certainly. But it, one yeah. has moved through it. So now we're in a different stage and one is stepping into it. Kind yeah. Of. I mean, I'm not exactly sure because I'm not in his body, but just, sure. um, what I've witnessed. Yeah. He's stepping into it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's probably a lot harder to tell with. Teenage boys and teenage girls. I don't know. I mean, my best friend has three teenage girls, and it's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> what would you um, What would you tell like a parent who has um, a kid who's expressed interest in being like sexually active, mm-hmm. um, like maybe a, a I don't know a fourteen year old girl mm-hmm. or thirteen or not? I shouldn't say thirteen. Maybe. Yeah, right, right below like the age that seems acceptable. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. Like if it seems early for you. 15, 14, mm-hmm. um what would you what kind of advice would you give to a parent yeah. um that maybe has a, a kiddo in the same like age realm as as your kid? Is that, yeah. Yeah. So I think that this is a topic that isn't covered enough. And yeah. I'm actually glad that you asked that because I am a sex educator as well. Um I do believe that the most crucial thing is to never shame your child for anything that they express about their sexuality, that you can be responsible without shaming. Right. So I grew up, even though I'm a sexologist and I'm very open about sex and I like to talk about it, I grew up in a household that was extremely conservative and it was like, don't do it. And if you do it, you're a bad girl Yeah. and you're going to get hurt basically. And that was a major disservice. You know, that took a lot of time to get over. So what I would say is appreciate that your child is trusting you with this information first and say that I'm glad that you feel comfortable that you can come to me with this. How can I help you? So my belief system would be, um, 
it seems like emotionally, are you able to handle this? Because I think that that's part of it. Just because your body can sexually function and you want to, right? Because I mean, you're hormonal at this age, like you're aroused by everything. I mean, that's normal. So to say it's normal that you're having these urges, that's what happens when you go through puberty. That's what happens when you start seeing yourself as a sexual person. Pleasure in your own body is supposed to be there. Like, you know, you touching yourself feels good because it's supposed to, oh, right? gross, mom. I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, believe me, I've, I've asked my kids plenty of times, like, how do you feel about what I do? Yeah, you know? yeah. I've always approached it with them first that it is a, like, life science Yeah. You know, like we're animals. Our bodies are created to do this. It's supposed to feel good. There's nothing wrong with how you're feeling. Yeah. Right. Health class for adults. Totally. (laughs) And they don't really give that to adolescents. They just say, this is how you wear a condom. This is when you can get pregnant. You know, Mm -hmm. certain things like that. They don't talk really about like, it's okay that you're feeling this way because you're supposed to. It's totally natural. And this can be a really wonderful, positive experience for you. And I'm going to help guide you so that hopefully you have that. Right. So first I would really validate them coming to you with those questions, concerns. Then I would say, who is this person that you're wanting to interact with? Like, is this someone that you really care about? You know, to really show that sex is not just a physical act or even if it's, so sex can be a lot of things even outside of penetration, right? Like exploring and heavy petting and being naked in front of someone. I mean, those are all very new experiences for them. It also has to do with like, how does that make me feel? Am I confident in my body? Um, Do I trust this person? You know, Um, to really think about, is this a right situation for me? And am I ready? Because it's something that I don't think that we talk to our kids enough about, like the emotional component that goes along with having a physical experience with someone. Yeah. Never touched on. Everybody's like, oh, uh, totally. uh, You want to talk? Okay. um, Yeah. uh, I wasn't ready for this. I didn't think that you were. And then just the responsibility of it too, of how are you safe? You know, how do you make sure that your body is taken care of? How do you make sure that you respect the other person's body? as well. I think that all of that is so important because in our minds, I mean, it's like, we're freaking out. Like, no, you can't do that. (laughs) And you can never go out of this house again. Yeah. You're my baby. And like, what are you talking about? Cause that's what our minds are doing. Right. And our egos are judging. So we have to, we have to like table that. It's not that it's not important. It's that how you deliver the message will have a major imprint on how they feel about their own sexuality and about their sexual experiences going forward. Yeah. And we all were kids once, sure. you know, and we can look at like how our parents handled it and, and what we took from that experience. Yeah. So I think it can be incredibly positive and it's, it's also a real challenge in letting go and knowing that, I mean, our kids are going to do what they're going to do and we prepare them in the best way possible to make the best decisions for them. Is there a book or like a website for parents or sure, anything that... Sure, for sure. And in fact, I can link some of that stuff 
on online, you know, like on my Facebook page or something would be a really great place to link that. I think there's a lot of questions around that. There are plenty of great resources cool. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can also add it in the show notes too, if anybody's totally. interested. Yeah. Cool. Um, do, 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 do. How do you, this is a very giving position, um, you know, helping people out, helping people work through issues and, and helping out with intimacy. How do you take care of yourself? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you, how, when does it, when do you turn it back in on you? Do you have like a hobby of like skiing is how I let loose (laughs) or like, well, I have a lot of things. Um, really what it is, is it took a long time for me to, to create like an internal boundary Mm -hmm. energetically as well. And I think it probably, because something that's really common with therapists is burnout. Yeah. And they overextend, they get too invested, they get depleted, they're not taking care of themselves. I think that it took me maybe, I don't know, I'd say seven years would be like a good area to where I really started realizing what I need to do, even in a session with someone to take care of myself. So there's things that I do energetically, emotionally to create a nice, safe, healthy boundary within myself so that I don't take on someone's stuff. Yeah. I care for that person. I'm empathetic towards them. I'm not taking their trauma and putting it in my body. Yeah. How right? do you do that? What is, what's your, what's your, and it's, it's hard to, because it's, um, sort of a reframing in my mind as well, but it's also like an energetic thing because you want to, the most, the best therapists are those who have great life experience and can connect with their clients in a way that is really compassionate and caring and understanding, right? So as a therapist, you're not stoic, hopefully, right? I mean, maybe psychiatrists or something sort of in a different role, but um, you want to show them that you are having an emotional reaction to what they're saying. Sure. Because it validates them. So that's all part of it. And yet it is a like scanning my energy and making sure that regardless of what this person is experiencing, it's not affecting how I am feeling in my body. So it's, it's actually not that I'm not reacting. It's just that I'm choosing not to internalize. Yeah. And it's, it's hard. Like, how do you do that? I'm not really even sure. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Now what I do after a session is really important. So for instance, yesterday I saw quite a few clients. It was, it was sort of a full day, um, more so than normal. So afterwards, it's not like I go home and I'm like, where's my martini. Mm -hmm. Right. And in the beginning, that's what I did to be honest. That's what I used to do. Yeah. It's that I need some physical exercise. I need to take a shower. Yeah. I need to connect with my kids, my dog, um, watch a movie, journal about my experience. But often it is how does how could I take what what that person's experiencing or what I suggested to them and apply it to my own life? Because I do feel that the universe gives us experiences and people to also help us learn. Yeah. So I'm also learning something about myself. Now in the session, it's never about me. It's not supposed to be. It's actually a break from my life where I'm out of my head about my life. Um, I will share things if people want to know, like I have been in open relationships. I can really connect with that. Um, 
people want to know that I have some life experience and that their story somehow I resonate with because that feels really good. Right. So I'm open to that place. I never make it about me, but I'll share to whatever degree. And I think that that's really healthy also. And a lot of therapists may not do that. Um, but it's part of the therapeutic relationship. Yeah. It's really important to do that. And then, like I said, there's certain things, and I, I suggest that all my clients do this too. Like, what do you need every day to keep you in optimal conditioning? So like an Olympic athlete, they know exactly what they need or they've figured it out to keep them in peak performance. And they have to maintain that. We do too, you know, and it's different for everyone. I, I have a strong spiritual practice you know, and it, that can be different for everyone too. I just know what it is for me. Yeah. And that's a real crucial component that I connect in with source and my purpose and my gratitude around that, that I connect with nature, um, that I connect with my friends, that maybe I do something that feels like studying. Like I'm, I'm a real bookworm and I love to read and I love to, to study and write and research and, that to me feels really good um, and something that I'm that I think is really important to keep up with for clients too and so that I can add value and again it's like okay well what about my own process and how have I done this in relationships or how you know so then after the session I'll really reflect on how does that apply to my life yeah right yeah yeah or what can I take from that and learn and do differently beautiful yeah yeah you always need a little bit of time to like plug back into your own personal yeah totally and then to it's called recharge you know like how do you recharge and I think everyone needs that yeah whatever job you're in or whatever relationship you're in to take separate space and connect with yourself and do what makes you feel rejuvenated. I do a lot of yoga. Yeah. I do a lot of exercise, you know, and, and, and I just try and keep that consistent and sure. that feels really good. Good nourishing food, you know, yeah, things like that. Good to yourself. Yeah. Um, is there any, this is going to come out around Valentine's Tines day ish. Um, Sweet. is there any kind of broad, I know this is going to be difficult. Is there any kind of broad <laughs> statement that you could give to couples out there of, hey, it's Valentine's Day. Just make sure you are present. Yeah. Oh, Seriously. nice. Yeah. So it's. They're going to say shave. Well, yes. I mean, that helps. <laughs> right. I mean, at least if it's not stubble. Yeah. Stubble can be really difficult. Certainly. I, you know, that can be really hard for, for anyone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Make yeah. sure you shave. <laughs> I honestly, so I do have a retail store. It's, it is my best time of the year, Valentine's day. You know, people want to show their partner that they care. And you know, a lot of people can't stand Valentine's day. I hear this all the time too. I like, I like it. I get it. I love it. (laughs) I I love it. And even if I'm single, I love it. Same. It's a time when I can like, I send Valentine's to my girlfriends. Yeah. Like, I, I just like that. I do it for my children and I do it all year. You know, it's not like I'm not already doing way, things that show that I love someone. And I think that people go, oh, well, it shouldn't take a day. You know, you should do that all the time. Well, I do. I do, yeah. And I don't like that day. I'm boycotting it. Well, I mean, why? Yeah. <laughs> because you have pressure. Like, so what? Yeah. So, what you do is, 
you, it's about present, Mm -hmm. being present and presence. And presence, actual presence. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you want to make it that, and some couples don't like that, fine, you know, but it's like, then write a note. Yeah. You know, I mean, you don't have to do flowers and chocolates and mm-hmm. a dinner. You can do something else Yeah, that is just about intimate connection. That is something that you share with this person that's unique about them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and communicating that. And also around Valentine's Day, set yourself up for success. So ask your partner, what would you like to do? Yeah. How do you feel about Valentine's Day? Maybe it's your first one. So you don't really know. Like maybe you just started dating. You know, what do I do? You ask them. Yeah. And that way you can be successful. It's these unspoken expectations in relationships in general, but also around Valentine's Day that get us in trouble. Mm -hmm. And I hear it all the time. They didn't do anything for me. I didn't get a card. I didn't get anything. (laughs) Can you believe what he did or she did or blah, 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 blah. How could they do that? You know, well, you didn't ask. Yeah. I mean, I think it's totally fine to be suggestive. You know what I'd really like? I really love flowers or I really love this, or I'd love some underwear. Mm -hmm. Or one of my biggest sellers is couples sex toys. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about some, some trending sex toys. Totally. If you've got them. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So I just got back two weeks ago from the adult novelty trade show Mm -hmm. in, um, LA And every year it is the latest, greatest innovations, newest innovations in sex toys. Most years have a theme I tend to see. A few years ago it was anal. Everything was about anal. (laughs) And all the new toys were around anal play, stimulation, those kinds of things. This year it was a lot more clitorally centered. Yeah. And which is great. It's not that that's anything new. It's just that there are new techniques, new toys around clitoral stimulation, which is awesome if you have a clitoris, right? Yeah. Um, so couples sex toys really have dual pleasure for two people. And sometimes they're, most of the time they're wearable, meaning that hopefully it's hands-free. A lot of people like hands-free toys because it doesn't really interrupt or replace. Often people think that they're going to be replaced by a toy. That's that's not real. You know, that's your ego saying that, you know, what if this dildo or whatever is bigger than I am, then they're going to like it more. I mean, come on. That's not, it's not a real thing. It's not a person. It's an object. It's not the same. Um, And also most Sex toys do things that real people can't actually do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, So it's just an addition to see it as that way, as like a different kind of pleasurable experience that you don't become dependent on Mm -hmm. for pleasure, but that adds a different element, a different sensation, feeling, experience. That's exciting. Yeah. Did you have a, a specific like thing that you saw that you were like, "Ooh, that's pretty cool." I did. Let's talk and about I that. And I ordered one. You did? Yes. <laughs> cool. And it's not here yet, but it should be here in a couple days. Cool. Um, two things, because uh-huh. a lot of what I do is around sexual wellness too. But the one that's that's more orientated towards pleasure was a vibrator that looks like a an old school rabbit vibrator in some ways. But the clitoral stimulation was a suction. And there's a lot of clitoral vacuums on the market now, which are amazing products. Mm -hmm. I mean, getting blood flow to the clitoris is a major step towards orgasm for women. 
And this particular thing had a sucking and an internal component that had G-spot stimulation. Cool. And that was pretty awesome Yeah, to see that. I hadn't really... I hadn't carried anything like that before. I'm now going to start carrying that online and in store. Um, and then in addition to that is around the idea of sexual wellness. Um, a lot of clients that I see have some sort of pain during sex, um, for, for various reasons, whether they've had a trauma, whether they've had uh, a physical, um, ailments around that. There's a lot of things um, coming on the market now to address these issues. And I'm, I'm thrilled for that because I really research and try and find relief yeah. for people who are having painful experiences. Cannabis has been a great help and addition to that. Really? Oh, amazing. There's a company called Foria that I've been supporting and promoting for years. And they now have not just THC-based products around um, sexual health and pleasure, but they now have CBD products. So those really can be experienced everywhere, wow. regardless of where you are. And we're seeing major relief and increase of pleasure in using these products. Yeah, because it's reducing inflammation or is it like totally. it's intensifying? The experience touches? and some of it um, has to do with uh, the different elements that are in the products. Yeah. Um, some of it's coconut oil, that some of it is um, like cacao and, and different sort of arousing um, uh, aromatherapy or essential oils yeah. kinds of experiences. And because it's such an individual experience, like where's my pain? Why is it there? What's causing it? Is it the size of my partner? Um, there's another product that I'm, that I also ordered that I'm thrilled about called O-Nut. O-Nut. I know it's <laughs> O-H-N-U-T. I'm, I'm going to promote this woman who created up with this brand. Yeah. It is so great. It looks like um, a small silicone donut that stretches and it goes over a penis mm -hmm. for penetration to create another barrier. It's, I'm, I'm thrilled with this product. That's great. And, and I, I really hope that it gives people a lot of relief. But, yeah. but there is a trend in sex toys that is around... Um, aiding in sexual discomfort too. That's awesome. That's super cool. And, and like I said, I'm a big proponent of cannabis. Yeah. And if you're in a place where you can get that because, you know, it's a recreational state or you can get it because you have pain mm -hmm. and you have a card, I really think it's a, a beautiful addition to sexual connection and sexual pleasure. So rad. I think this is a great time to plug your, your website because totally. we've talked about your store a yeah, little bit. Yeah, it's where... called modernaphrodite.com. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And I have a great online store. There's going to be some promotions coming up yeah. for Valentine's Day. My number one seller, hands down, above and beyond, is called this Crave Vesper necklace. It's a vibrating necklace. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful gift for Valentine's Day because you've got the jewelry thing and you've got the pleasure thing. Yeah. And um, I sell a bunch of them. People love them. And that's 
front and center on my website. So when you go to modernaphrodite.com or you come in the store, you'll definitely see that there. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, We're kind of at the point in the podcast where if we didn't get to cover anything, you're like, oh, I really wanted to talk about what, fill in the blank. Um, I'm happy to, to give you the, the floor. Yeah, um, but if you for feel sure. Satiated, you can put it back on me. Satiated. And... <laughs> I mean, saying that in this environment is an interesting <laughs> word yeah. to use. Um, I guess I would say that, because people often say, like, what kind of clients do you see? Yeah. Right? I think that that's really important. And they want to know more about my private practice. So, um, I see really all kinds of things. I mean, often people come into me for a sexual concern and then it becomes a relational issue. It's always a relational issue, whether you're single and you're wanting to find love. I do a lot of dating coaching kinds of things too. Um, I even help people like write online profiles. You know, I also help people get divorced. I mean, it's, it's really everything in that spectrum. Um, and how do we create more pleasure in ourselves? So uh, something I hear a lot is women who have trouble orgasming. Mm-hmm. And they come to me and they say, what is the thing, right? So, you know, is it a technique? Is it a tool? Like, what do I need to do to have an orgasm, especially during penetration with my partner? This is a journey, right? Yeah. So a lot of it is about, a lot of what I do is about empowerment, self-knowledge, exploration, sexual autonomy, meaning my turn-ons and my sex is not in relation to another person. I can have it on my own. How I want to share and express that is up to me. Yeah. And I feel like even if you're single, right? that you're still having pleasurable experiences with yourself or that it's healthy to be doing so. And I really encourage that opening journey. So then when you're with someone, you can have those experiences with a partner and connect with them as well. So there's not a lot of times around Valentine's Day and single people, it's like, oh, I feel terrible. I'm unloved. You know, I'm not having sex, like whatever. Yeah. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't have that because there's another person isn't in your life. Sure. So I do see a lot of single people too. Yeah. You know, we talk about like, what's your relationship history? Like, what have you done in relationships that hasn't worked for you? Or who have you been attracted to that maybe necessarily hasn't been healthy for you? So how can we work on you and what you would like to bring into your life so that you have different experiences? And I think that that's really important to see. And also, how can you keep your sexual vibration up and alive while you're single and not expressing it with another person. Yeah. I think that's super healthy and super important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, I have been in open relationships. I've been in monogamous relationships. Um, I have dated people much younger, much older. I have experimented with both genders. So I'm, I'm really open um, as a therapist, but also as a person and sharing my knowledge base and um, my experience 
with different relationships and different toys and that kind of thing also. Yeah. 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 So people can always ask me questions. That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) And I'll do the best or I'll, I'll find someone who can help them better than I can. Yeah. Yeah. At least be the keel of the ship to like add add them in the right direction. I'm always a big supporter of people who want to expand their experience sexually and want to find ways to communicate that better. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Doc. You knew it was coming. I know. <laughs> um, we always end the podcast with a poop story per tradition. Well, we're sitting right next to some anal plugs. <laughs> we are. We're sitting, I mean, they're like within reach. So this yeah. is a, the, yeah, this one in particular, it's a bunny tail. Yeah. Um, and there is a glass butt plug on the other side. Yeah. So, Anal play is a is a big thing that people like to talk about or or are nervous to talk about, right? <laughs> yeah. Anal sex, anal play. Um, even sometimes I hear this thing of um, like I'm not gay, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. It's about sexual pleasure. Like sure. it's it's not even about like what is what is identified with certain um, relational experiences. Like it's not about sexual identity. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right now it's about pleasure. Right. So poop stories. I mean, here's the thing with anal is it is important to be mindful that that's where poop comes from. Certainly. Yeah. You've absolutely got (laughs) to do a little foreshadowing if that's going to be a thing. Um, I think that that's probably a, an important um, little feather to put in your hat. <laughs> Hopefully. Now, I mean, depending on how much you have anal sex, um, you may want to use enemas and make sure that you're cleaned out. Mm-hmm. Sort of the term that's used around anal sex. Make sure that everything is clean and prepped and ready to go. Because the worst thing is having it in your mind like, am I going to poop? Yeah. During, during this sex, sex act, okay? Yes. Because it's it's on everyone's mind, yes. right? I mean, we all know, we all do it. It all happens. Yeah. You know, that's part of it. And I've definitely heard the stories where people are having anal sex. And oftentimes, one story in particular that I heard was, um, it was a heterosexual couple. Mm-hmm. He was penetrating her. She had an orgasm at the same time that he pulled out. And she pooped everywhere. Oh, that sounds like the sweetest release ever. I mean, <laughs> yes. Friends, you know, yeah. And the worst cleanup imaginable. Oh, absolutely. And awkward yeah. and embarrassing. Sure. So here's the thing, right? With yeah. anal sex, like some people like it dirty. Some people know like this is just part of it and I'm going to get into it and I'm cool with that. Yeah. If you're not that person, <laughs> yeah. have that talk before. Wear a condom. Put plenty of lube on. Like there's things that you can do to create the barrier. Do it on a towel in the shower. You know, like these are all things that you can do. You can also use an enema before you go on a date, like, or whatever, just to make sure that you feel comfortable and confident in your pleasure and your cleanliness. Yeah. 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 I saw this um, enema that you... You basically screw it into like a the shower, the shower head. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. that's pretty common. I mean, I've seen that for people who like anal sex, who have that a lot. It's an attachment that you can do. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that yeah. There's all kinds of things yeah. just to make sure that like you feel good and you're not worried about that because it will 
it will be intrusive in your pleasure if you're worried about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's normal. Yeah. 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 Poop's normal. Yeah. Man. Poop's normal. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Poop happens. That's why everybody has a story. Totally. I've got episodes and episodes of research to, to oh back up gosh. that statement. A hundred percent. Well, and having kids, you know, like yeah, we've all seen it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Doc, thank you so much yeah. for coming on. Thanks um, for having me. A real pleasure. Yeah. Um, I had a blast. Totally. Me too. That's it for us. Play us out shitty ukulele. <laughs> Great job. Yay. I knew you'd knock it out of the park. Yeah, no, that was super fun.